Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and change makers. Tom Hubler is a family business consultant who helps family businesses discover generational success by creating a shared family vision, building emotional equity, and developing a plan for the business and the family. In this conversation, Tom shares his wisdom regarding the emotional side of business. He also explains the four plans family businesses need, the last challenge of entrepreneurship, and why having a new dream is essential. Whether you have a family business or not, Tom has a lot to offer you as you contribute daily to the common good. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 627. I am naturally curious, but I think the thing that drives me is my curiosity about people and uh, what they're up to and what they're thinking and feeling and so forth, and also what their purpose is. And those are the things that sort of drive uh, me in terms of my relationship to uh, to people. When you're working with people, is it easy to see what their purpose is? Or is it sometimes just hidden under layers of just pain? Well, it's partly it's just help, you know, helping them understand what their purpose is and make it more present for them. I mean, many people operate without being aware of what their purpose is and, uh, you know, helping them identify that is something that, uh, you know, is again, drives me Yeah. in terms of, you know, because like happiness to me is a function of understanding your purpose and wrapping your life around it mm-hmm. for your benefit, the family's benefit, your community benefit and your higher power. Mm. All of those sorts of things drive uh, that kind of curiosity. Ooh, I love that. So when did you discover your purpose? <laughs> That's an interesting question for me because basically, you know, I've known about it almost all of my life. And I think I became more aware of it specifically, you know, in the last, you know, when I got around, you know, like 40 or 50, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Actually, in 1990, I was in a workshop. And uh, one of the things that I that I have done over the years uh, that I stopped doing a few years ago was I was a beekeeper for 40 years. Oh, wow. And beekeeping, <laughs> you know, the real benefit of beekeeping is pollination. Mm-hmm. And it's a, six, a $16 billion industry in this country. And most people don't wow. become aware of that. Yeah. So the metaphor for me is that I use my gifts to go into families and pollinate them and help them develop their gifts. And so the the idea of my purpose in life is to help families in particular uh, identify and manifest their gifts for their benefit and the benefit of their their family and business and all those sorts of things. And the the fancy way I say that is that spirituality is an adventure and is the essence of my life. Allows me to celebrate, and celebrate to me means passion. Uh, means to share. It allows me to celebrate my passion, my joy, and my love. It connects me to my soul, and creates my communion with you, and with the universe. Hmm. And when I wrote that in 1990, I thought, "Holy smokes, who's in there besides me?" <laughs> right. Where did that Where did that come from? Because <laughs> what were you doing before then? You know, I've always, uh, you know, worked with families. My 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 whole career has been with uh, with families. Uh, when I was a young professional, I was out giving a talk, and someone said, "Well, how did how did you uh, get into uh, psychology?" And you know, and 
and family stuff and so forth and so on. And I said, well, there are two answers. The professional answer is I did well in psychology in school, <laughs> and that's how I got into it. I said, but the real answer is I started as an unpaid volunteer in my own family at age seven. So I've been, you know, focusing on families my whole career, you know, both formally and informally, and helping create happiness in families. And in, you know, in family businesses, that's, you know, that's the big challenge is to uh, maintain family relationships and not let business and financial differences, which are normal, erode family relationships. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's not like uh, in a family business, you're going to fire your your family member. <laughs> it happens sometimes, but it but it's but that's the issue. Yeah. You know, about and 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 addressing those sorts of questions. And uh, because the consequence is it can be emotionally devastating for some families. Yeah. You know, to, to even address the question of, of non-performance, of not following, following through, uh, you know, of, of basically dropping the ball and not, mm -hmm. not operating up to the standards that the family has for its family members who work in the company. Mm. Well, how many family businesses do you think there are in America? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, for instance, like there were, I think, 600,000 businesses started last year. And eventually many of them, you know, the majority of them will evolve into family businesses. Wow. And uh, so, you know, the, you know, they're the majority, like 80 to 90% of the business in this country are family owned and operated. And, and I think at one time there were about 60% of the Fortune 500 were family owned, not necessarily operated, but fam, mm -hmm. family owned. And family businesses, uh, you know, create 80% of the of new employment in our culture, and they're the backbone of our economy, and they're sort of underappreciated up and well, I think the last 30 or 40 years, they've become much more appreciated in terms of their contribution to the economy and to the community and things like that. Yeah. Well, I love that too, because when I saw the email come through and, and said that you were a family business consultant, I was just blown away by that because you know, we just don't think about family business as the backbone of business. And that truly oh. is unfortunate. You know, that, that, that it wasn't up until the last 10 or 15 years that family businesses in universities began to develop curriculum for family businesses. Most of wow. the business curriculum was for the large Fortune 500 companies. Right. Family businesses are altogether different. And so, yeah. like, when I first got involved in family businesses in the mid-80s, there was only one university program in the country. Uh, it was uh, Wharton at the University of Pennsylvania had a uh, business program for family businesses. And other than that, that was it. Wow. I mean, talk about a niche market where you have a lot of opportunity as a, as a consultant. Yes, yes. <laughs> so what goes into being a family business consultant? Is it just show up and put on your therapist hat or is it is it deeper than that? It's much, much, much deeper than that. And there are, you know, one of the things to be aware of is that the it's a multidisciplinary sort of a thing mm -hmm. that in order to be an effective family business, you have to have uh, a grounding in business and financial things that uh, you wouldn't otherwise have. Then in addition to that, you know, it doesn't make any difference what your profession of origin is, whether it's accounting, banking, law, wealth management, or whatever. You also have to have a grounding in the emotional things and emotional intelligence mm -hmm. and the psychological issues, because all of the issues, the majority of the issues in family businesses are emotional as opposed to, you know, technical. 
there are you know, there are a lot of technical challenges, but for the most part, there are processes and formulas for getting those resolved. But on the emotional side, that's the, that's where the challenge is. Mm. So, what are some of those emotional issues? Without going too deep into that <laughs> can of worms. Well, you know, um, basically being able to express your feelings and wants. Mm. Uh, is is really really important and there's you know it's like um you know it's impossible to live in any kind of a family without inadvertently stepping each other's toes it happens all the time in families where we love each other and so forth and so on and in family businesses it's it's doubly difficult to deal with those things because of the business consequences that type of thing mm -hmm. and so it it goes back and forth between uh, business issues eroding family relationships and family politics upsetting what goes on in the in the uh, the business and in order to talk about the issues you know there, there are two pitfalls in, in family businesses one is avoidance hmm. and the second one is the failure to have a plan and so the question is you know when you talk about avoidance what are we talking about what are they avoiding well in order to to do succession planning in family businesses you have to be able to talk about two of the three most difficult things to talk about in our culture mm -hmm. and you have to talk about money which is very difficult to talk about. Right. And you also have to talk about uh, death. You know, implicitly, when you're talking about succession planning, you're talking about the death of the senior generation, mm -hmm. and nobody wants to talk about that. And so, so there, you know, there are issues in terms of uh, forgiveness. You know, it's like uh, you're, you know, it's it's inevitable that you're going to inadvertently step each, step on each other's toes, and and it's important to be able to forgive each other, and many family businesses don't take what they learn on the weekend when they go to their services of one kind or another and take it into the rest of their life and and create forgiveness or a new beginning so that they can get beyond what's happened historically mm -hmm. and they let those things accumulate and uh where there's these little differences about you like for instance if you and i are in a business together and we're brothers and there's this little difference i think oh no i better not bring that up if i do it's going to upset chris and we're all going to together for uh Thanksgiving, and if I bring that issue up, it's going to upset our, our family and whatever. I'll right. let that issue go. And then there's another little issue. No, 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 no. If I bring that issue up, it's going to it's going to really upset our family. It's Christmas is our most favorite family holiday, and if I bring that issue up, it's going to really blow things. Hmm. So what happens is people inadvertently create the very problem they're trying to avoid by not talking about their differences, and that sort of a thing is what you know from an emotional point of view, contributes to the problem, and they become unmanageable. Mm. I tease about that. In the book, I talk about it as Hubler's speck of dust theory, and nobody's ever heard of Hubler's speck of dust theory, but that's the <laughs> theory. It's like letting little differences accumulate and become unmanageable, and they create the very problem you're trying to avoid. Yeah. Wow. Now, is that what you mean by emotional equity, then, where everyone's emotions are equal? No, no, no. That's that, that's all. That's altogether different. Okay. When, when I first started doing this work, you know, I was a neophyte when it came to the business stuff, and they, you know, they're always talking about the bottom line in business and da 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 da. And it occurred to me that, uh, you know, why do why isn't there a bottom line on the family side of the equation? And I began to realize that the emotions are the bottom line in, in on the on the family side of the equation. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a guy who you may not have heard of. His name is Michaeli. Chick sent me high, who used to be a professor at the University of Chicago, mm -hmm. and he was a positive psychology guy, and he wrote a book called Flow or Finding Flow. Mm -hmm. 
And in there, he says there are three things that create flow or fulfillment in people's lives. Work, active leisure time, and relationships. And when he was talking about relationships, he was talking about regular family relationships. And what he said was families in today's environment cannot uh, survive without the regular infusion of psychic energy. And so he calls it psychic energy. Hmm. And it occurred to me that, you know, families that are in business and wealth are at risk. And that if you don't build the emotional equity of the family, which are your family relationships, your family rituals, your family activities, all the things that we do normally in families, if you don't focus on that and pay attention to that while you're simultaneously building the equity of the company, you're going to have a problem. So that's what I mean by building the emotional equity of the family. And one of the things that happens in family businesses is there's an emphasis on building the equity of the company. Mm. Oftentimes, it's at the expense or the ignorance of the emotional equity and the importance of having family harmony in your family. And the research is that families that are in harmony are more profitable as businesses. So building that emotional equity, doing things to enhance your father-son relationships, or, you know, going, I had a client where even when the dad was alive, they, they t the two brothers took their dad out to breakfast every single morning. They went out for breakfast. Yeah. That was an example of that. Or I had another family where they used to get the family together to do service work. And one year they did a service project where they got their friends and the family together to do a, a 4th of July a fireworks project for a, a children's home in Minneapolis. <laughs> wow. But doing those things are the kinds of things that build equity. And I imagine too, those shared stories of, oh, remember when we did that? And, and yes. yeah, that, that happy stuff that you talk about, you know? Yes, yes, yes. So it's like, you know, there's, there are always going to be bumps in the road. Mm -hmm. and if you don't have something in your emotional bank account, you know, you're not going to make it. Yeah. Boy, if there is a lesson that whether you're in a family business or just a normal person in a normal job, I think everyone needs to hear that. Yes. <laughs> we all need that emotional equity in our life. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, for, 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 for the most part, we talk about it in terms of having a balanced lifestyle. Mm -hmm. and you need to have balance and so forth and so on is the way it's talked about for people yeah. who are not in family businesses. Yeah. But I do, I do like the word that you chose to use, harmony, because you know harmony implies something a little bit different than balance. Right. Yeah. Right. So the, you know the issue here is, and uh, you haven't asked the question, but I'll help you with it in terms of how do you create harmony or unity in a family? Mm. Yeah. How do uh, you? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, when I was younger, I was taught that the way you create harmony is to compromise. Mm. I think that when I compromise, I feel terrible. I don't like to compromise. Mm -hmm. So I don't recommend compromising. On the other hand, when I was a young boy going to catechism classes, I was taught by the nuns that you, in order to create unity in a family, you had to give things up. And when I give things up, I feel worse than when I compromised. <laughs> so I don't recommend that either. <laughs> On the other hand, if and when I go to church on Sunday and, uh, and they pass the plate in spite of the fact that I don't like to do, you know, dig way down in my pocket and get some money out and put that on the plate, I feel good about that because I know I'm furthering the common good. Mm. So the idea is that no one's ever going to get 100% of what they want. 
we're all going to be called to make a contribution to the common good mm. out of our love, our generosity, our sense of abundance, and the trust that if I make a contribution now, other people will do it when their turn comes. And so uh, in a family business, you know, the, the common good is embodied in the family vision, the common family vision that unites the family as a superordinate thing. And so, so that everyone has an inspiration to, to achieve the, that goal. Hmm. Yeah. I, I love something that I read on your site was there's a, a business vision and a family vision. Right. And I love that so much because all all the time you think we get pounded in what's what's the vision for your life? What's the vision for your business? Right. I love this idea that you can have a vision for your family too. And yes. then you share yes. that. Yes. And the idea is that that becomes an inspiration. It's a castle in the air that you strive toward and, and inspires you both collectively and individually in terms of making decisions about what you're going to do. And it inspires you, obviously, to make contributions to the common good, to great family harmony. Yeah. And uh, the idea is you want to have what I call a reciprocal commitment to each other's success. That's another thing that creates unity for a team is people committed to helping each other be successful. Ooh. So one of the things I talk about, uh, you know, when I work with clients is a concept called the boss. And when I mention the boss, everybody thinks I'm talking about their parents. And I say, sorry, mom and dad, I've just demoted you. You're no longer the boss around here. And I think, oh, boy, I'm, I'm in trouble now. And and the boss is an acronym. And the B is uh, the business. And how do we take care of the business? So that's one of the most important things to do in a family business is to have a business environment that's successful and structured and all that stuff and operates out of a plan. But the O is equally important. The O is what do you want for the other about what the other wants? And so like if you and I are in business together, what do I want for you about what you say you want? And you need to know that I'm committed to helping you get that. Whether you're in, or in the business or out of the business, you know that you can count on me to help you be successful and vice versa. And we would have a reciprocal commitment to each other's success. And that's what creates a team is people, you know, committed to helping each other be successful. Mm -hmm. The first S is what do you want for yourself? Mm -hmm. And the idea is, you know, you can't have a team if people only think about what they want for themselves. So, so that's one of the reasons for the common vision. So that as you articulate what you want for yourself, it's done under the umbrella of the common family vision. And then the last S is what do you want for the other stakeholders, which I was just mentioning is, the employees, the customers, the vendors, the board, the community. And so the goal is to create win-win solutions that would honor the boss to help you become a vision-driven family-owned business as opposed to problem-focused. Mm. So. Wow. I mean, I love that. I love it so much because it's not just, I, I don't know, I, I feel like you've brought in everything that you've experienced in your life, in your training, in, in your studies, and really brought it into, I guess, a framework that helps people, you know, with their business. Right. And their family. Right. So like my philosophy is you could, my mother used to say to me, Tom, you, you can never have your cake and eat it too. And I always used to argue with her about that. And, <laughs> and my philosophy is you can have your cake and eat it too, if you're willing to plan. You have to have a plan. Mm -hmm. When I was a, a junior in high school, I worked for a family business grocery store in St. Paul 
that was owned by six siblings, three boys and three girls. And the oldest boy was the president. And he was a very jocular guy. He always talked in riddles. Hmm. And one day, in those days, you had to stamp the price on something so the cashier would know what to charge. Yeah. And I was busy stamping 303 tins of peas. And Bill Nolan walked down the aisle and said to me, what's your plan? I said, I don't have a plan. I'm busy putting peas in the shelf. And I thought, what a, you know, leave me alone. <laughs> and then he says to me again, what's your plan? I said, I don't have a plan. I'm busy putting peas in the shelf. And he said to me, a plan that isn't working is better than no plan at all. And he walked off and I thought, oh, what a dumb thing to say. Well, anyway, <laughs> I've used that my whole career. And when I taught at the University of St. Thomas, the family business management class, I use that all the time about the importance of having a plan. So what goes into a successful plan? I'm glad you asked, Chris. It's about time you asked that. You know, <laughs> hey, you so, love the softball. I took it. <laughs> so there are four plans you need to have in a family business. And the first one is an ownership plan. And an ownership plan has to do with the financial part of things. And, and it also includes the estate plan. It includes, you know, uh, a decision about whether there's going to be another generation of family members working in the, in the business. It includes the equitable treatment of the children. Uh, it, it includes the minimization of estate taxes. And this is where we get into this, you know, the idea of this being a multidisciplinary approach mm -hmm. to solving the issues of family business. So having a, a uh, an ownership plan is very important. And then related to that is um, governance mm. and a plan for governance. And the issue is, how do we replace the owner entrepreneur? Well, from my perspective, they're irreplaceable. Mm -hmm. So the only way to do that is to come up with a new system. And the new system is a board of directors with outside advisory members. And, uh, and that's one of the more challenging things to do in a family-owned business is to put that together. But that's the first plan. The second plan is a management and leadership plan having to do with what's the plan for uh, the next generation of leadership in the family-owned business. What's the plan for the owner-entrepreneur? What's the plan for the development and the leadership career planning and, and leadership development of the younger generation? What happens when the younger generation is not old enough? It's a very complicated thing that includes what I call a family participation plan, which has to do with making a decision about what's the criteria for joining the family business? What's the plan for leadership? What's the plan for career development? What's the plan for compensation? Yeah. Which is a big issue mm -hmm. in family businesses. And it's oftentimes uh, overlooked and there's all kinds of problems and so forth and so on related to that. Uh, and then, then we get into, from my perspective, what I've, you know, the owner entrepreneurs, you know, loathe the idea of, of, of not working in the family business. And the idea of letting go of not being there is like from, for the most part, they experience it as dying. Mm. One of the things I've developed is the concept called the last challenge of entrepreneurship. And from my perspective, owner entrepreneurs don't have to leave the business, but what they have to do is change their job description and become the architect and the designer of the new ownership system and the new management and leadership system and and figure out what give you know what gives them heart and meaning so they can continue to come into the company mm -hmm. do something but not interfere with the day-to-day -day operations mm -hmm. and then also get involved with their family in terms of you know entrepreneurs are driven by their dr new their dreams and they have to come up with a new dream in relation to work 
family, leisure time, service, philanthropy, all those sorts of things. Legacy. Yeah. And then the third plan is a business plan. And many family businesses are particularly in the in the early stages are entrepreneurial. But when you get multiple members of the family involved in the business, you have to have a a formal business plan. Mm-hmm. And that uh, that's sustainable to help the business go from the next generation on and on and on to be successful. And then the final plan is a family plan about how you're going to be a family without the undue influence of the business. And that's the idea of, of developing the emotional equity of the family while you're building the equity of the company. And so those are the four plans you need to have in order to be a successful family-owned business. So w- when you share with an owner entrepreneur the shift to architect designer like how do they respond to that but they that, that's, that's a, a a reasonable thing for them i mean they, they see it as you know mm, that's got possibilities <laughs> yeah you know i've had multiple clients over the years that have have, have a very very hard time with that i had one client who uh his name was tom by the way and he was from madison wisconsin and he was a, a mechanical engineer and he developed a machine in his garage that became the major machine to do um, packaging for Gillette razors and Johnson products. Wow. And his son was too young when he, when he uh, wanted to retire. So he hired a non-family president and it wasn't working out. And so he fired him and he hired another guy and things were going along pretty smoothly. And they used to have a monthly meeting. And at the end of the meeting down at the bottom of the agenda was Tom's schedule. And they got to that. And um, the non-family president said, if I'm going to be successful around here, you can't be here as much. And Tom said he he (laughs) asked and he thought, well, wait a second. I've got a boat on Lake Michigan. I've got a hobby farm. I'm going to be really successful. Hmm. And so they ended the meeting. And about two or three months later, they were having another meeting. And down at the bottom of the agenda was uh, the item Tom's schedule again. And so they got down to that and Tom said, well, I'm really doing a good job of that, aren't I? And the non-family president shook his head from side to side and said, <laughs> no, you're not. Tom said, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. Mm. He said, you know, I wanted to do it. I knew I should do it and so forth and so on. But it was very, very difficult. And so the idea again of developing a new dream is something that that's amenable to them. The other, the other story I like to tell is when I was teaching at St. Thomas, uh, one of the fellows that I was uh, co-taught with, his father had uh, three Firestone stores. And he said to Glenn one day, he said, you know, Glenn, when I go to heaven, I hope I can still sell tires. <laughs> his fantasy of going to heaven was selling tires. You know? <laughs> right. So, so owner entrepreneurs love to do what they do. They're very, very good at that. And the way to help them make the transition is to come up with a new dream. And they do that with their partner, because that's another thing that, that comes, comes up the works, is that many times plans are made with the technical professionals. And I had one client, again, where the, they were working with their accounting firm. And the accounting firm developed this really beautiful tax-driven plan for this guy to retire and go to Arizona and, uh, and play golf and so forth. And this meeting occurred at you know, nine o'clock in the morning. And at 10 o'clock, they brought the wife into the meeting to explain the plan to her. And she slapped her hand on the table three times and said, I'm too young for my husband to retire. Hmm. And that was the end of the discussion for the next five years. 
And, and what had happened was she had raised their kids. She had gone back to school and gotten a PhD and she was teaching in the Wisconsin college system and had no plans about retiring, that type of thing. And I've had other clients where the, mm. where the spouse says, well, you know, listen, you can go down to uh, Florida and play golf and I'll come down and visit you. But I, I, you know, my family's up here. My grandkids are up here. My church is up here. My friends are up here. I'm not, I'm not going to Florida. So the idea of doing this together with your partner is absolutely critical. I love that. Well, you've mentioned several times, Tom, in our conversation, the book that you've written, The Soul of Family Business. Yes. What surprised you most in writing your book? Um, yeah, I was astonished to tell you the truth about some of the stuff that I came up with. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, um, you know, putting it down on paper, you know, in, and uh, taking, you know, thoughts and so forth that I didn't realize were sort of inside of me relative to, um, you know, things like gratitude. You know, gratitude is a very important thing uh, in life in general, and certainly in family businesses. Uh, so that would be another ex one example. The other thing was the, um, you know, the uh, family forgiveness ritual. Uh, you know, that was something that I created in 1998, and and had written about, but put it in the book. But that was another thing that was uh, surprising to me about how important forgiveness is in families. Yeah. I just love the undercurrent of your beliefs and and your philosophy in a sense uh, through this entire conversation because it's not just I don't know it's not just this tactical thing there's some real uh, what's the word I'm looking for there there's just like a depth to what you're talking about that's I don't know it just seems real to me and I I just really appreciate that thank you yeah. Well, Tom, as we wrap up our time together, what's one thing you want listeners to take away from our conversation? I think there are, there are two things. The one, as I mentioned earlier, is the importance of having a plan, uh, which I think is really critical. And I've mentioned that earlier in terms of the four plans and so forth and so on, and creating balance between your family and your business system. But the other thing that I think is really critical that gets really overlooked a lot is the importance of gratitude. And I'll, you know, I have a, a there's a, I'm gonna read just two short paragraphs out of the book. Mm -hmm. uh, one paragraph says that gratitude is a critical ingredient in strong relationships, in family friendships, in working relationships, in family businesses. Gratitude is the glue that holds people and groups together. Teamwork, in my opinion, is a non-sentimental expression of gratitude. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing I wanna share. And then lastly, uh, in terms of gratitude, is a quote that I have from a guy named John Edmonds, who's an e expert on gratitude. And he says, gratitude is the way the heart remembers kindness, cherished interactions, and other compassionate actions of strangers, surprise gifts, and everyday blessings. So mm -hmm. gratitude uh, is an essential ingredient in a successful family and a successful family business and having a, a, an appreciation for your blessings in life. And the idea of doing, and compassion is another thing that is important to remember, to be more compassionate with each other and our families and uh, in ourselves and uh, the world around us. So those are the things that I think are really important to remember. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Tom, final question for you. Uh, you seem like a reader. So what book is really blowing your mind right now? There's two that I'm reading. One is called, the Power of Regret mm. by Daniel Pink is really very good. 
And then one is another thing that I think is really critical in our in our day is sacred nature. Mm. And it's written by Karen Armstrong, who's a world-renowned author on religions and, and, the, and the universality of religions and what they have in common. And she's written her most recent book. It's a little, and mo most of her books are big and long, and this one's a short one, but about restoring our ancient bond with the natural world. Mm. And the common denominator is religion and all that. So those are the things that I'm reading right now that are driving me in terms of where I'm up, what I'm up to. As we wrap up this episode, a question I want to leave you with is really what Tom was talking about at the end of the episode. What is the new dream for your life that you're creating? Whether you're at the beginning of your business, the middle or the end, it's not a bad time to really sit down and look at what the future will hold for you. So spend some time and really dive into that. And if you have a partner, bring them into that conversation as well. Until next time, may creativity, curiosity, and pug snores fuel your life. Good boy.